Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 50th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. 133 presentations prepared and delivered by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using Purity as Life According to the Spirit purity, and heart. The analysis of purity is an indispensable completion of the words Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, on which we have focused the cycle of our present reflections. When, in explaining the correct meaning of the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, Christ appealed to the inner man. He specified, at the same time, the fundamental dimension of purity, by which the reciprocal relations between man and woman must be marked in marriage and outside of marriage. The words, But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28 express the opposite of purity. At the same time, these words demand purity, which in the Sermon on the Mount is included in the statement of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. In this manner, Christ directs an appeal to the human heart. He invites it. He does not accuse it, as we have already shown above. Christ sees in the heart, in man's innermost being, the wellspring of purity, but also of moral impurity in the fundamental and most generic sense of the word. This is confirmed, for example, by the response given to the Pharisees, who are scandalized by the fact that his disciples break the tradition of the elders because they do not wash their hands before they eat. Matthew chapter 15, verse 2. Jesus then says to those present, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. To the disciples, by contrast, he explains these words in answer to Peter's question as follows. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what makes a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, prostitution, theft, false witness, blasphemy. These make a man unclean, but to eat with unwashed hands does not make a man unclean. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. See Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. When we say purity and pure, in the first meaning of these terms, we indicate the opposite of dirty. To dirty means to make unclean, to pollute. This pertains to the various spheres of the physical world. One speaks, for example, about a dirty street, about a dirty room. One also speaks about polluted air. In the same way, man can also be unclean when his body is not clean. To remove filth from the body, one must wash it. In the tradition of the Old Testament, great importance was attributed to ritual washings, for example, to washing one's hands before eating, which is mentioned in the text just quoted. Many specific types of washing were prescribed in relation to sexual impurity, 
understood in an exclusively physiological way. See Leviticus chapter 15, which we already mentioned above. See Theology of the Body 36.4. According to the state of medical science at the time, the various washings could correspond to hygienic prescriptions, inasmuch as they were imposed in the name of God and included in the sacred books of the Old Testament legislation, their observance acquired indirectly a religious meaning. They were ritual washings, and in the life of people in the Old Testament served ritual purity. In connection with this juridical and religious tradition of the Old Covenant, a wrong way of understanding moral purity developed. Moral purity was often understood in an exclusively external and material way. At any rate, an explicit tendency toward such an interpretation became widespread. Christ opposed it in a radical manner. Nothing makes a man unclean from the outside. No material dirtiness makes a man impure in the moral sense. No washing, not even ritual washing, is by itself situated to produce moral purity. Moral purity has its wellspring exclusively in man's interior. It comes from the heart. The Old Testament prescriptions in question, those found, for example, in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 16 through 24, chapter 18, verse 1 and following, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, probably served, in addition to hygiene, also to attribute a certain dimension of interiority to what is bodily and sexual in the human person. In any case, Christ thoroughly guarded himself against connecting purity in the moral, ethical sense with physiology and the organic processes in question. In the light of the words of Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, quoted above, none of the aspects of sexual uncleanness in the strictly somatic, biological, physiological sense enters per se into the definition of purity or impurity in the moral, ethical sense. The statement just mentioned, Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, is important above all for semantic reasons. When we speak about purity in the moral sense, that is, about the virtue of purity, we are using an analogy according to which moral evil is compared with being dirty. Certainly this analogy entered and became part of the realm of ethical concepts from earliest times. Christ takes it up and confirms it in all its extension. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what makes a man unclean. Here, Christ speaks about every moral evil, every sin, that is, about the violations of the various commandments, and he lists evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy, without limiting himself to a particular kind of sin. It follows that the concept of purity and of impurity in the moral sense is a rather general concept, not a specific one. Thus, every moral good is a manifestation of purity. 
and every moral evil a manifestation of impurity. The statement in Matthew chapter 15 verses 18 through 20 does not restrict purity to only one sector of morality, such as the one connected with the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not desire your neighbor's wife. That is, the one that concerns the reciprocal relations between man and woman connected with the body and the corresponding concupiscence. In an analogous way, we can also understand the beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount addressed to those who are pure in heart, whether in the generic or the more specific sense. Only the context allows one in each case to define and specify this meaning body and spirit according to St. Paul. The broadest and most general sense of purity is also present in the letters of St. Paul, in which we will identify step by step the contexts that explicitly restrict the meaning of purity to the somatic and sexual sphere, that is, to the meaning that can be gathered from Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount about concupiscence, which expresses itself already in looking at a woman and is equated with adultery committed in the heart, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. The author of the words about the threefold concupiscence is not Paul. As we know, they are found in 1 John. Yet one can say that in a manner analogous to what for John, 1 John chapter 2 verses 16 and 17, is an antithesis within man between God and the world, between what comes from the Father and what comes from the world, an antithesis that is born in the heart and penetrates into human actions as the concupiscence of the eyes, the concupiscence of the flesh, and the pride of life. St. Paul observes another contradiction in the Christian, namely the opposition and at the same time the tension between the flesh and the spirit, written with a capital S, that is, the Holy Spirit. I say to you, live by the Spirit, and do not satisfy the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires contrary to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. It follows that life according to the flesh, stands in opposition to life according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 5. In the following analyses we will try to show that purity, purity of heart, about which Christ speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, is realized precisely in life according to the Spirit. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 50th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body. To better contextualize this 50th catechesis, it's good for us to remember we are in chapter 2 of the Theology of the Body, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to preach to the birds or the fish or the beasts, but to human beings, to us ourselves. He appeals to our hearts. He does not force us to embrace him or his saving doctrine. He respects our free will, but he encourages us to choose well, to choose rightly. And it is in the Sermon on the Mount that he appeals to our heart. 
that he addresses us fallen men and women who have a tendency to sin. That tendency is called concupiscence. The Lord Jesus has reminded us not only of the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, but also of the New Testament ethos, not even to look upon another with a disordered desire, lest we commit adultery in the heart. Pope John Paul II has addressed the heart, whether it has been accused or called, and he answers that the heart has been called. Heart speaks to heart, the motto of Cardinal Newman. Pope John Paul II has addressed the ethos of the redemption of the body. There is a certain way for the redeemed people to live, to act, to desire, and this is the makeup of the ethos of the redemption of the body. In today's 50th Catechesis, Pope John Paul II begins to address purity as life in the Spirit. If we live according to the Spirit, we combat the desires of the flesh, says St. Paul. And John Paul II follows on the heels of the Apostle to the Gentiles, even though he is the successor to the Apostle St. Peter. Purity as life in the Spirit, and the opposite would be impurity is life not in the Spirit of God, but in communion with the devil, which is no communion at all. True to his philological background, his being a student of words, Pope John Paul II addresses four terms in this 50th Catechesis. Purity is one term, heart is another term, body another term, and spirit. Four terms addressed in this 50th Catechesis. Body and spirit according to St. Paul specifically. Pope John Paul II addresses adultery in the heart as expressing the opposite of purity. So the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, when he speaks the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. If I have adultery in the heart, if I look with a disordered look upon the other, I am not pure of heart. I refuse, I spurn the call to holiness. I refuse, I spurn the appeal Christ has made, not only to his first hearers, but even to all of those who hear him still through the sure and certain words of sacred scriptures, through the sure and certain words of Mother Church, who teaches so eloquently in the words of John Paul II and his catechesis on the theology of the body, even until the Lord returns in glory, we are called to holiness, to purity of heart. John Paul II continues his catechesis by reminding us that the heart is our innermost being. It is the wellspring of purity, but also of moral impurity. And here, Pope John Paul II reminds us that the Lord Jesus says it is not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him that makes him impure. From the depths of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. That phrase, wellspring of purity, reminds me of a book written by a Middle Eastern Dominican, Jean Corbon, who helped to write the fourth part of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, published by Pope John Paul II on the Lord's Prayer. Jean Corbon reminds us that the wellspring of worship is communion in Christ. Christ, who is the Father's very image, the image of the unseen God, who can plumb the depths of God. So when the Holy Father, who knew Jean Corbon on this side of eternity, uses the phrase, the wellspring of purity is the human heart, but may also 
be the wellspring of moral impurity. It depends what the heart is. How is your heart? Are you pure of heart or not? Because if you're not pure of heart, then you will have moral impurity. But if you're pure of heart, then you will morally be pure. And here again, we see analogous language, vocabulary. If someone poisons a well, those who drink from it die. We want to make sure the water is clear, pure. And so Pope John Paul II addresses just that, purity. What is something when it is pure? And he gives the most basic answer, well, the opposite of dirty. What is it to be dirty? To make unclean, to pollute. And he gives three examples, a dirty street, a dirty room, polluted air, dirty street because of trash strewn about, cans and bottles and papers. That would be a dirty street. How about a street where sinful activity takes place? Prostitution or drug sales or fencing of stolen goods. That would make a street dirty if all those things were happening on it, but it's different from just garbage along the road. A dirty room, you don't make your bed, you don't hang up your clothes, that's a dirty room. But a dirty room could be spotless, but bad things happen there. That's another sort of a dirty room. Polluted air, the image comes immediately of smokestacks belching sulfurous gases into the sky. But some speak of a polluted air when there's all sorts of vulgarities or incendiary comments flying through the air. That's polluted air. John Paul II doesn't specify these different sorts, but it's good for us to think of it because Christ has come to cleanse us whole and entire and not just us, but the world. For God so loved the world, he sent his only Son to redeem us. Pope John Paul II, in his 50th Catechesis, not only addresses pure and purity as the opposite of dirty, to make unclean, to pollute, with those three examples, but he also gives two further aspects. He speaks about sexual purity and ritual purity. So, sexual purity in my own proper self, and in my dealings with others, and ritual purity, that would be worshiping in spirit and truth, to allude to other words of our Lord. The Sixth and Ninth Commandments, they have to do with sexual purity. And our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, when he calls us to not even look with a disordered desire upon another, is really commenting on that aspect. Pope John Paul II also draws our attention to the prophets and the way they treated purity, as well as the priestly tradition of the Old Testament. Both the prophets and the priestly authors of the Old Testament, inspired by God, address human interiority from the inside, conversion of heart, awareness of our sinfulness and the need for God's grace, for his mercy, for his action, that we might be made pure. Recall the penitential psalms of the Psalter. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Wash me, and I shall be clean. So we see purity, impurity throughout the scriptures. Christ our Lord, our great high priest, who died and rose, who dies no more, who calls us to live with him not only in the hereafter, but even in the here and now by holiness of living, he does not reduce purity to the material sense only, to bodily, corporeal, somatic purity only. Christ came to redeem the whole man. Pope John Paul II points out that this is an analogous use of purity in the moral sense, the virtue of purity. 
Moral evil is like being dirty, impure. With analogy, something is alike and something is different. I can have just taken a shower or a bath, but my soul be rotten, filthy. I can be very dirty with dust and dirt and stains on my clothes and what, but have the purest soul. And so it's an analogous use. Purity in the moral sense, different from purity in the corporeal sense. Moral evil is likened to being dirty. Pope John Paul II cites in this 50th catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. The Lord Jesus in St. Matthew's Gospel, not the Sermon on the Mount, but later, chapter 15, verses 18, 19, and 20, three verses. And the Lord provides us with a list of sins. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not a list which limits its concern only to a particular kind of sin. The Lord Jesus reminds us that we are not pure of heart if we have evil intentions in our hearts. We are not pure of heart if we are murderers. We are not pure of heart if we are adulterers. We are not pure of heart if we are fornicators. We are not pure of heart if we are thieves. We are not pure of heart if we are bearing false witness. We are not pure of heart if we are blasphemers. And all of these various sins have corporeal aspects. If I utter blasphemy, it is with my tongue and with my lungs which force the air out. If I bear false witness, it is so often by my speech. If I commit theft, it is with my hands. I take what is not mine and I walk away with it. Fornication and adultery, specifically sexual sins, involving the body, and our Lord warns us, as we've heard so often, John Paul remind us, not even to have adulterous desires, lest we commit impurity or adultery in our hearts. Murder, I use my body to attack the body of another. Here we have a very holistic theology of the body. Pope John Paul II is not a sex-crazed or a fixated man. He's calling us to holiness like the Lord Jesus Christ before him. For John Paul II is the vicar of Christ on earth for 27 years of grace. And now in heaven he intercedes for us. The Lord Jesus in this passage from St. Matthew chapter 15 verses 18 through 20 lists seven sins and they correspond to so many of the commandments of the Decalogue, the Big Ten Commandments. Murder is the fifth commandment, adultery and fornication are the sixth commandments, theft the seventh commandment, false witness the eighth commandment, blasphemy the second commandment. The evil intentions could be a part or an aspect of the first commandment, have no gods but God, because God's intentions are not evil. But the Lord Jesus Christ does not specifically mention the first, the third, the fourth, the ninth, or the tenth commandments. But he was not giving us an exhaustive list, even if it would exhaust us just to consider the seven he's given us. Let us be pure of heart. Let us be pure in our desires. Then we have allowed the Lord to redeem us whole and entire, our bodies and our souls. This is the redemption ethos, the ethos of the gospel, the call to holiness. Pope John Paul II addresses an opposition and a tension between flesh and spirit in St. Paul in this 50th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. And he does so with two specific passages in mind. St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. 
In St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 5, Live by the Spirit, and do not satisfy the desires of the flesh, for the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit. So St. Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the church in Galatia. Live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Do not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Don't give in to carnal concupiscence, for the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit who wants us to be holy, to correspond to his holy promptings. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. These inspired words from St. Paul's plume are written to bring us to desire holiness, to long to live in the Spirit, not as slaves of the flesh. Tertullian, one of the fathers of the Church, the first Latin author of theology, the first systematic theologian in the history of the Church, he reminds us that the flesh is the hinge of salvation. Christ assumed our flesh. He became like us in all things but sin. He suffered in the flesh. He died in the flesh. He rose in the flesh. He feeds us with his very body and blood, with his own flesh in the Eucharist. And he will raise up this mortal flesh of ours on the last day. The flesh is the hinge of salvation. We see here a tension and an opposition between flesh and spirit in St. Paul. And John Paul II draws it to our attention. St. Paul, in an analogous manner, is like St. John in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where he addresses the threefold concupiscence, concupiscence of the eyes, and our Lord alludes to that so much by his calling us not to look with a disordered desire upon another, concupiscence of the flesh, acting out on what we've seen, and the pride of life. If we have a spirit of pride in us, not the proper pride, but a sinful pride, then we are not living according to the Holy Spirit. We're living according to the spirit of this age, the spirit of the man of concupiscence, fallen man, not according to the spirit of the redemption, not according to the spirit of the Eternal Father sent first at Pentecost over the church that the apostles might speak in the varied languages of the world, shaking the walls with tongues of fire descending. Before the Pentecost, the apostles lived in fear, locked up, hidden in the upper room. But once they received the Spirit of God, the Spirit outpoured upon them, they were no longer afraid. They became men of zeal and holiness and they proclaimed the gospel to every creature as Christ the Lord had commanded as he was ascending to the Father's right hand in our flesh, bearing with him his glorious triumphant wound. This same Spirit is upon us, thanks to God's grace, thanks to the outpouring of the same Spirit upon us in holy baptism and in confirmation and in all the sacraments. The Spirit of God is called down upon us that we might be holy and live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of Almighty God. And to the extent that the Spirit of God is within us, we are pure of heart. We reject all of those sins which our Lord enumerated and even yet still others. We reject sin and Satan, all his prompts, all the glamour of evil. 
We are for the Lord, whole and entire, body and spirit. We are not polluted or dirtied, made unclean by sinful acts or sinful desires. Our hearts are focused on Christ Jesus and his kingdom and his glory, and we are grateful for his mercy, by which, in which we live and move and have our being. The next installment of the Theology of the Body, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, will continue his presentation on purity as life according to the Spirit, even focusing our attention on the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. There are 13 more catechesis in this second chapter of the Theology of the Body, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart, at the conclusion of which we'll begin chapter 3, Christ Appealing to the Resurrection. Until next time, God bless you.